0: Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Randy Goldberg, co-founder and chief brand officer of Sock Brand Bombas. The company was early to the buy one, donate one sales model used by other brands like Tom's and Warby Parker. So I wanted to ask Randy about the importance of being more than socks and what the lockdown has done for sales. Welcome, Randy.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Thank you so much for being here. Uh, we were just talking offline. I want to bring it into the conversation. <laughs> Tell me about sock trends during the pandemic. What's been happening?
1: Well, I mean, people are home and socks are the new shoes. I think that's the big headline in sock trends since the pandemic. Lucky you. Yeah, lucky us. It, it's, it's interesting, right? It, it's a, a difficult time in the country That a lot of people are struggling. But people who are at home and still working want to be comfortable Comfort is what people are looking for right now. And luckily, the, the number one reason why people buy Bombas is because they are so comfortable and that's why they keep coming back. So, And then on the other side of things, we're a mission-driven organization, right? So uh, a sense of community feels really important right now as well. So I, I think those two things combined have led to a good year for us, um, even in, uh, amidst the uncertainty and um, you know, everything that this country is going through.
0: Definitely, definitely, right place at right time. Uh, would you say your product assortment was really um, prepared for this? We talked about uh, maybe no-show socks were going to be the hot trend of the moment. Did it? Did you have to kind of pull back, uh, flip? Were you able to uh, change what product was available quick, quickly ramp up in terms of what is what is the cozy sock that people wear inside? I don't even know.
1: I mean, people, people are wearing a little bit less no-shows, for sure, than we predicted this spring and summer heading into it, because that's a sock you typically wear when you want to be out and sort of proving to the world that you're not wearing socks, even though you are. Uh, it's been a growing category for us for a long time. Our no-show socks are really well made. They're, they're, they're made in a way like no other no-show socks. They really work, and people love them. But uh, people are wearing more ankle socks, because maybe they're working out more. People are wearing more performance socks calf socks have trended up just a little higher, like socks that people are wearing at home. Um, People want comfort. comfort, They want cozy. Uh, Even in the summer, you know, if you're indoors, you want something that's just sort of nice. And so NOSHA has trended down a little bit. They they had an interesting time and we were able to adapt um, just because of the way that we buy ahead of time um, and the way that we need the flexibility built into our business so that if our marketing team is having success with something that we can lean into it rather than having to chase into it, which is a, a better way to sort of be inventory.
0: Yeah. How quickly are you able to respond to a trend?
1: Um, pretty quickly. I mean, we're not the most trend-driven business um, right. in terms of like, you know, listen, we we, we have classic styles. We, we have like, beautiful color combinations we think a lot about materials and comfort and the socks look amazing we do launch seasonal collections and fashion collections we have prints and but in terms of responding to a trend i think it's less important for our business and for other businesses we have a pretty adaptable supply chain and we we feel good about like our our being able to like go out and buy something if we feel like it's the right thing and be able to get it on our site in the next couple months Um, but for the most part, we're, we're thinking ahead and we're thinking long-term and we're thinking classic styles and things that you're going to look good in no matter what.
0: Totally. Let's circle back to 2013. Uh, what even inspired the brand? Why did you see white space in, in socks? Is it, were you seeing everybody wearing the Dwayne Reed socks? We won't talk about them. Go ahead.
1: Well, I mean, understanding your sock habits (laughs) aside, um, in Duane sure. Reed.
0: Oh, okay.
1: That's, uh, all right. That's our secret. That Sorry, was on the
0: DL. Okay, go ahead. Right, right. Uh,
1: it, it really wasn't about white space at first. It was more about, uh, I was working with um, Dave Heath, who is one of the co-founders as well. And, you know, we were just sort of always looking at other ideas and businesses, but this wasn't about that. Dave saw a quote on Facebook and it was a campaign the Salvation Army was running. And it said that, Socks are the most requested clothing item in homeless shelters. And he asked me if I knew about it and I didn't. And it seemed like an odd thing. So we actually called a couple homeless shelters in New York City where we were living. And you know, we, we were like, what is, what's going on with socks? And they said, well, you know, we don't allow people to donate used socks for hygiene reasons. And then if you're living on the street, a new pair of socks really means a lot for, for your foot hygiene, maybe you're walking more places. And you have less opportunity to wash or change your clothes. It, it starts to add up, and they said it's just always an issue for us. And we were like, "Wow, that's that's tough." We want to help solve this problem, so we started to buy socks and donate them before we even realized maybe there's an, an idea here. But then, as we started to think about it, we were like, "Wow, you know, Tom's who you mentioned is, you know, in their maybe in their fifth or sixth year of business, doing really well. Warby Parker had just launched." Um, The idea of having like a mission-driven business was a little bit in the ether. And we just looked at that one-for-one business model. We thought it just made so much sense for our product category. And then we looked at socks and athletic socks hadn't changed in 50 years. They were cardboard. No one cared about the materials. In the same way that they were an afterthought for shelters and for people donating clothes, they were an afterthought in the marketplace. So we just got obsessed with socks and spent two years Trying to make the best pair of socks in the history of feet, and we were off to the races.
0: Nice. Would love to hear how you went about marketing your mission-driven brand out of the gate. We talk about in terms of sustainability that uh, right now, fashion shoppers they kind of see it as a perk. Like they'll lead with, I don't know, price with style, and if it's sustainable, great. But um, what's the story with your customer? Are they coming to you because of because of the mission?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, we have certainly have customers who come to us because of the mission and they care about the communities where we all work and live first and foremost. And then we have customers who come really looking for comfort, looking for quality, feeling like I need to upgrade. I need new socks. I want a fresh start. I want my drawers to look better, whatever it is. And a lot of people come for the product and they learn about the mission and that engenders long-term loyalty. And some people come for the mission and they try on the socks and then they have trouble going back. So, you know, it's nice that people come in the door from both diff- both sides of, of that equation. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Where are you acquiring customers? Is it a lot of word of mouth saying you got to try these comfy socks? <laughs> Where are they coming yeah. from?
1: Always, always a lot of word of mouth, which is good. You know, when you have a high quality product that you really believe in, someone tries it, they're going to tell someone about it. It's funny, you know, when, when when you tell someone about Bombas, the reason you're probably excited about them is because of how comfortable they are. But when you tell someone else about them, you usually go, you know, they heard of this company, Bombas, they give away a pair of socks for every pair they sell. And by the way, I've never tried a pair of socks that feels as good. So it, it, the word of mouth is a big part of it, but we are acquiring customers online, we're acquiring customers TV, radio, you know, we have a pretty like even marketing mix. We're out there uh, spending the dollars to find the people. And um, I, I'd like to think of our customers and supporters as a pretty diverse group all over the country. It's not necessarily like the, when you think of a trendy fashion startup, maybe on the coasts, our customers and our base is really widely distributed around the country in all different types of places.
0: Very cool. We gotta
1: we gotta go find them.
0: Yes. What percentage would you say of your uh, marketing ad spend is going to digital?
1: Uh, digital is definitely more than half of our marketing spend still. Um, yeah. And when we first started, it was a hundred percent of our spend. And you know, I, I think a lot of companies direct-to-consumer companies. We started at an interesting time in 2013, where the marketing was way more reasonable than it is now. And the technology had just become reasonable. And if you had started five years before, the marketing was free on Facebook. You know, whatever you put out, they would send it to your customers. The algorithm didn't really exist the way it does now. So that was... But the technology was expensive. And now the technology is basically free and the marketing for most companies is prohibitively expensive. We, we sort of launched in a sweet spot where we could afford to market and build up the base and the momentum that we have now. Um, and that's been a nice benefit. Uh, you know, if I was starting a company today, I'm not sure I would do it the same way that we did it, you know, seven years ago. Yeah. But we still, you know, we spend a lot of money. Uh, a, a percentage of our, of our spend is obviously still on Facebook and Instagram. But we've also found success in like podcasts, hello, um, and radio and TV and direct mail and some of these places that are more traditional. You know, we also have a big retention program and, you know, have an email list that we focus on as well.
0: How were you able to afford all of that advertising? What was your approach to fundraising? Did that come in early?
1: Yeah. So, you know, we didn't spend a dollar on marketing for over a year uh, in our business. We, we did an Indiegogo campaign and well exceeded our goal and used that to launch the business and do our first production run. And then it was a lot of uh, elbow grease. You know, we, we put our own feet in the shoots and we used email to build up an audience. Uh, we went on Shark Tank. That helps a lot. Um, and Seth. that sort of helped us, you know, achieve kind of a new floor in daily sales in our business. And a new audience. Um, and then we raised, we raised, you know, two small rounds of money, um, compared, especially compared to our peer sets.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. Quickly. We got to touch on shark tank. Is that like make or or break? Like if you, if you screw it up, you're, you're done, (laughs) done.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's the thing, you know, you go, you walk down that aisle, uh, and you realize that you know, you're going to be on, you could, you could say something that you regret on national TV. That is, that is some real fear right there. You know, right. But if you're prepared and, you know, you have conviction around what you're doing and you believe in it and, you know, you realize they're trying to make a TV show and they want it to be entertaining, then you have fun with it and you realize it's a weird experience and you embrace it and, and just kind of go for it.
0: Yeah. Is that a, was that a turning point? Was that a main point in your, I guess, early story? Was that crucial to kind of, getting you off the ground?
1: I think so. I mean, it, it happened to be, uh, we have we, we were an online company that sold a product that people could go and buy the night of the show, which was helpful, even though our site crashed, you know, early website <laughs> days for us. Um, so, yeah, it, it was definitely a big uh, moment for us, an accelerant um, idea for the early days of Bombas. Like, uh, massive, massive moment. And, you know, we wanted to make sure that it also didn't define us as a business. So I'm not sure even everybody knows about that. I do not know.
0: Yeah. But we are the
1: number one, uh, like revenue brand, uh, on Shark Shark Tank history.
0: I mean, claim to, that's, that's me, me. Not to brag. I'm just saying, um, (laughs) so you talked about the, um, the cost of, of digital ad ads and how it's gone up. Uh, a lot of brands have told me, you know, once you kind of Max out on your digital spend. The next step is physical retail. Uh, you look there for growth. I would think for you guys, you know, you want to feel the comfy, <laughs> the comfy socks, and that physical retail would would make sense. What's been your take on that?
1: I think that's interesting. I think for us, the idea of maxing out is not really in our vocabulary. We want to we want to always be finding the efficiencies to make continuing to market online possible, and a lot of that falls back on storytelling. You know. Yeah we feel like being able to be really good storytellers and you know convey the nature of the product without that moment and you know like get somebody to try Bombus for the first time it's always going to be something that we're doing and the nature of what people respond to online changes year after year but we just have to be there for that journey and listen to what the customers are saying and listen to what people are saying online and and uh, we're the ones who have to be nimble and you know our marketing team and our brand team and creative team work very closely together, and we put the we put the burden on the creative team. And we say, you know, if something isn't working in marketing, we assume that team is operating efficiently, and let's just make better creative. Let's get it out there. Let's do a better job telling the story, and you know, and then people will people will respond. As far as physical retail goes, love the yeah. idea of doing that at some point. Um, it's just not not in the cards this year necessarily.
0: Yeah. What story is resonating with the customer now?
1: I think that combination, for us, the story since the beginning has been about comfort and quality on the product side and about our mission, Um, you know, and those two ideas have been the pillars of Bombas brand since day one. But how people see that changes, right? Like there were times where we could put out a three or four minute video and 100 million people would watch that video on Facebook. And those days are, are, I think, (laughs) behind us in some way, but we're always trying to find that next you know, what are people paying attention to? What stops people? What cuts through the noise? And, you know, I think simple, uh, authentic stories around the mission and showcasing that we're walking the walk. And as we donate product on people's behalf, that we're closing the loop on where those donations are going. And then on the product side, I think appealing to people's emotions, right? It's about benefits for the user more than it is about features of the product. And as excited as we get about, like, socks and product, I think people really care, like, what does it do for me, right?
0: Yeah. Are your donations still going to uh, the homeless population? Where are those socks going?
1: Sure. Our our donation products go out to members of the homeless community, um, but also people who are at risk and in need and who fall into different sort of categories there. But What we do is we distribute through a network of over 3,500 giving partners that we've built up over the years. And those are anything from a small shelter in a small town to big organizations like the VA and the Special Olympics. And we're in all 50 states and we send out boxes of socks that are specially designed to meet the needs of those living on the streets or um, who aren't able to change their clothes as frequently. And the idea that we're making product for a community that rarely gets new product made for them is important for us. We're a brand for the homeless community. Um, so we have this network of giving partners to just a wonderful group of people. And they teach us a lot about how to act and how to respond and how to talk and how to work with the homeless community. And we send out donations and it's really an infrastructure of giving at this point, you know,
0: Totally. What's kind of the secret sauce? What makes them so comfortable? What's is it? A large product development team? A lot of R and D that goes into this? Uh, Yeah. What What makes them great?
1: Yeah. I mean, it it started with the idea that we're consumers, right? And our approach wasn't. We've been industry veterans for twenty years. We know how to do this. It's what What did we want to see in the sock? So we changed everything that we could about how socks were engineered and constructed. We tried 137 tension levels in our calf sock to make sure they're not too tight. Don't slip down, but don't leave a mark on your leg. And we want to make sure that the toes, the toe closure is like, you don't feel that ridge across your toes. And we use the best cotton or merino wool. A, a lot of it is a lot of research and development, and we take the time to do that. The no-show socks that you talked about, it took us a year and a half to develop that product. Because okay. we're re-engineering machines to accomplish what we want to accomplish, not listening to what a factory tells us is possible. And yep. that pays off in the end in product. And customers, you know, they'll find a better product if there is one, you know?
0: Totally. Let's take a quick break. Was your supply chain disrupted in the last six months? Uh, what's, what was happening there?
1: Thankfully, we were in a good position with our supply chain and we experienced minimal minimal disruptions for, for COVID.
0: Good. What were some other, I guess, challenges or pivots that had to be made?
1: You know, it's an interesting. You know, that first couple weeks was rough um, from a business perspective as the world was trying to figure out what was going on, and same for us. And what's the appropriate way to communicate? If you remember those early days, it was day by day. Like, what's what's the right thing to say for a business? And uh, those challenges are good challenges, though. It forces you to take a look inside. Nothing about our mission or our product, or how we operate really had to change. All we ended up changing was the cadence of how we talk about what we're doing for the community, how we're responding to the moment, and then what's the appropriate time to be talking about product. So we didn't, you know, I think there was, there's something like emboldening about that is that when we looked inside, you know, at our company and we, we looked at how we're operating, what we're doing, we didn't really have to to change anything. We just, you know, had to make sure we're talking about things the right way.
0: Yes. What well, can you tell me about sales in the last six months? How would they, how do they compare to maybe uh, last year at the same time?
1: Yeah, I mean, we're up year over year and over our plan for the year that we set out pre-COVID in January. So sales are up. I, I think, like I said, I, there's that response to comfort and the response to community. And, and uh, people are, are looking for these little moments for themselves. And, and we're here for that.
0: Yeah. As there's more pressure on brands too, I guess, do something good for the world right now. More brands are going there. Uh, is there concern about differentiating, uh, as everyone's coming into your territory? I mean, it's, it's definitely, you know, all good things, but uh, how do you see that?
1: We welcome people to be doing good things for the world. (laughs) Like it's great that other companies are doing that. And we give a lot of those companies advice, you know, we're happy to talk to people. Um, and you know, explain how we did things and the mistakes that we made. And I think it's important to pay that forward. So I think for us, um, when you think about other companies doing good in the world, that is a great thing. You know, we're not trying to feel competitive around that. Companies like Tom's and our friends at Warby Parker, they've been really good to us as we build out like our version of what that means to be a responsible corporate citizen and to give back to the communities where we work and live. So we want to help other companies do that. Uh, I don't think there's any competition. We, ha- we want all companies to think that way. I would yeah. love for it to be a world where there wasn't even a talking point about Bombas because this is just how businesses were expected to operate. You know?
0: Honestly. How many socks have you donated now?
1: Over 40 million pairs.
0: I mean, congrats. And am Thank I correct you. that you're a certified B Corp? Is that something that you guys yeah. are also messaging? And uh, to what extent is that kind of helping to attract, uh, I guess, conscious consumers?
1: Yeah, we're definitely messaging around being a B Corp. We could probably even be louder about it. I think it's a really important certification tool and you see it around a lot. And I think consumers are starting to look for it, which is great. Um, it is a pretty rigorous process. I'm not sure how much people know about it, but they really look at all aspects of your business. It's not just sort of giving out willy-nilly. You know, it's, right. a, it's a real thing, which we love. So, um, yeah, I, I, think, I think there's an important wave coming. And, you know, whether your angle in is around sustainability, like you mentioned earlier, or whether it's about uh, having some sort of mission. Ours is around homelessness and how we connect into that. Whatever it is, telling the story around that and being vocal about what you care about is, is the most important piece.
0: For sure. What can you tell me about category expansion? You're not just socks, you're doing some t-shirts as of last year. Yeah. And today I was on the site and I saw a pair of sweatpants. What is happening?
1: Yeah, so we, we are, we're starting to get out there a little bit. Uh, t-shirts <laughs> have been great. I mean, same approach to product development and design. It's that finding all the little things that make a big difference in your daily comfort. We focus on the things that you wear closest to your body, t-shirts, socks. We've got some other categories coming starting next year. So I think thinking, you know, thinking really hard about what matters most in your daily comfort and, and being able to innovate around that. And for a t-shirt, it's like, okay, it looks like a white cotton t-shirt, but when you put it on, you know that there's something different. It has an amazing hand feel. It's kind of like cool, like the other side of the pillow, it's made of Pima cotton, you know, so all the things like that matter how the seams are constructed and how it lays and, you know, um, yeah. we get excited about product development and taking that same approach and comfort expertise that we built up around socks and putting it into the you know, lens of a t-shirt.
0: Yes, it's interesting. I mean, I feel like you're a di- totally different ballgame, but it reminds me a little bit of the trajectory of a richer, or poorer. Uh, I think their socks were priced differently, but she would Eva Pauling was telling me, you know, you got to sell a lot of socks to make a go of it. You guys are already, you know, you're making a go of it as is with just We're socks. A go
1: of it, yeah.
0: yeah, that's for sure. Can you tell me a, a little bit more about, I guess, what, what do you think your assortment will look like in the next, uh, let's say, this time next year?
1: This time next year, I, I, I think, think about like the drawers, like things that you put in drawers, yeah. things that you wear closest to your body that matter most in your daily comfort, um, you know, socks, tees. You know, I think you mentioned sweatpants i think comfort focused apparel like that is a little further out for us yes. um that was a bit of a, a a trial product and it's done really well so it's given us some confidence that we can be an apparel brand uh, as we grow but i think we have to earn our way into that um and get these next couple products really right and make sure that we're listening to our customers
0: for sure uh who makes sense for you as a, a wholesale partner uh that's just a small piece of the pie in terms of your sales, correct? Like the Dick's yeah. sporting goods. Can you tell yeah. me more about that?
1: Yeah. Dix has been a great, great partner for us. Um, same with Nordstrom. Um, yeah. So those okay. are sort of our, our key partners right now. And we've built, starting to build nice businesses there, learn the wholesale ropes, make sure that we're approaching it the right way. I think if you're a digitally native brand, the idea of wholesale, the idea of department stores has scared a lot of these brands and rightfully so. I mean, you've, yeah. I'm sure you've heard some of the stories of the past and the hesitation, you know, for us, that's again around storytelling and making sure that relationship with the customer is sacred and they have the information they need and they understand the why behind the product and why it exists in the world and it's presented the right way. Um, So, you know, we, we have the, these have been great, great partners for us though. And we're excited about um, finding the next versions of them.
0: Yeah. What makes a partnership work? Is it for Nordstrom, maybe a a dropship model where it's coming from you or maybe uh, yeah, more control about how things are presented in store. What what's what makes it work?
1: Yeah, I mean, for us, we're not doing dropship. We're, we're working directly with them as like a they're a, one of our retail partners. So I think it's about commitment to understanding our brand yeah. and presenting it in the right way. And if their team cares about it, and we can try and get them to care about it the way that we do, that's a that's that's where a great partnership starts. And their excitement level around merchandising around you know, just being on the same pages with us around donations as well, right? And like understanding that they want to be involved in giving events that we do. Like that's where you're like, okay, you know, these guys get it. They want to be a part of it. and We're excited to build something with them and we want them to feel some ownership over it as well.
0: Totally. Tell me about, uh, as sales have ramped up this year, your customer happiness team, is this just a, uh, uh, yeah, this is customer service, like to the max. Who are they?
1: You know, this has been a, a big thing for us since the beginning. You know, I mean, you ever deal with a company and the customer service isn't great, then your impression of the company isn't great. It's your first line of defense. So in the early days, we'd get calls or emails from you know customers from customers and Dave, Dave would pick up, it was routed to his cell phone. So we would be at a bar and he'd be like, uh, I'm going to step outside for a minute and take this call. <laughs> And forty-five minutes later, you come back in, and he just spoke to a customer for forty-five minutes. And you know, obviously, we're not doing that anymore. Um, But the team is sort of built around that idea. This internal team that we built around the idea of that it's so important to meet customers where they are, to solve any issues that come up, and issues always come up, and it's part of selling. You know, so you just have to get great at that. And you know, when you look at the stats people who deal with our customer happiness team have a two times lifetime value as regular customers. And that's nice. the, the benefit of, um, you know, really good happiness team.
0: Yeah. Nice. Has that kind of uh, worked to suffice customers' needs? Did, did you have to, or feel the need to add any kind of bells and bells and whistles to your uh, site since March, whether that's like a chat, whether that is live chat, maybe the customer happiness team was doing that or anything else?
1: I mean, there's been a lot for them to deal with as, you know, a lot changes here and there. In this, in this year, there's a lot of like, you know, reacting to the world and making sure that we have appropriate messaging. But for the most part, that team, like the rest of our company, we didn't have to change the way that team operated. We yeah. haven't added any new features that weren't already there. We're obviously always improving that service if we can. But the team is there for our customers when they need them the most.
0: Great. Uh I know you're you've received some awards about like being a great place to work and right now you know everybody's really evaluating what that means and how they can oh, <laughs> facilitate yeah. that what what is so great about your workplace
1: Ah, <laughs> uh, workplace yeah I mean we certainly miss it but we're also seeing this moment as an opportunity to like think about what it means to be part of the hive which is what we call our you know our team um team is at the center of what we do uh Obviously, our people are our company, and without that, um, we don't have Bomba. So, it's a it's a tricky moment, you know. Getting together and that that connective that connectivity that you get from going to the office is missing. But people are, are really responding to the moment, and you know, we have people who are reaching out to each other, members of the, yeah. of the teams checking in on people. We have all company events. We, we we've tried to sprinkle in enough of the old magic to keep things interesting and to keep things feeling like Bombas. And since it's probably going to be a while before we're back at the office.
0: Yeah. Since, um, gosh, the Black Lives Matter movement and everything that's happened in the, in the recent months, um, have you felt the need to uh, make, I don't know, first of all, further communicate with your team? Um, and second, like make it very clear, spell it out. This is what we're doing uh, maybe to be more diverse or to respond to these, the current um, environment.
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's an important moment in the country. It's an important moment for every company to have, a, a, I think, a stance on where they fit in and where it makes sense for a company to fit in. And for us, you know, I, I think about the Black Lives Matter movement and we've sort of led by listening to our employees and to the moment and to finding the place where our core cause intersects with the Black Lives Matter and if you yeah. think about it, you know, thirteen percent of the U.S. population is black, while forty percent of the U.S. homeless population is black, and that is a place where we feel like we can help out by donating money. We donated two hundred fifty thousand dollars to five organizations that were selected by the Black Hive um, and led by our internal employees who have a strong voice and a say in these matters. And I think there's a lot that we can improve on as a company and we're listening and working through that. Um, you know, things like hiring practices, making sure that we're operating the best possible way. Uh, but this is a big moment and something that we're taking seriously and making sure that we have, uh, I don't know, that we're using our voice in the, in the best way that we can to help improve the situation.
0: Nice. Gosh, what are you, what, what's challenging you now? What's on your mind? What, what's next?
1: Um, I mean, I, I think a lot about new product development, um, I think a lot about how we're communicating. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty in the world. We have an election coming up. And,
0: honestly,
1: um, you know, I want to take care of our team first and foremost. And if we're taking care of our team and we're listening to them and we're thinking about uh, how people are feeling and what their perspectives are, we'll do a better job communicating as a company, developing products and being there for each other. And if we can take care of that, I think we'll be a successful company in the months and years to come.
0: Yeah. Will you do any marketing or any activation, anything special around the election in particular?
1: I mean, listen, we want people to get out and vote. Uh, I think we'll, we'll be doing some messaging a- around that. And other than that, I'm not sure. You know, I think it's it might not be the right time for us to have a huge voice um, other than, you know, like, this is what the country is going through right now. We have to find our place in it and make sure that we're talking appropriately when we're communicating in email and in ads and just make sure it feels like the right time to be saying certain things to the yeah. world yeah
0: that's so interesting. like is right now moving forward like can a brand just not say anything when it comes to like <laughs> an event such as the election like now every brand needs to to make some sort of a yeah, they need to yeah go ahead.
1: I don't know. I mean, listen. Certain brands are certainly going to not say anything and pretend nothing is going on. I I think for us, uh, when when we think about our mission that that rallies us in these moments, generally, and that's where that's where we have the 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 best time, like sort of finding our voice. But um, it is something that we have to. I I don't know. There's going to be brands who don't say anything. There's going to be brands who are really active and really loud about it. And I think for the most part, people are not. Going to want to hear from apparel brands as their primary source on on the election, right, you know.
0: <laughs> Good point. Are you watching what's happening on TikTok? Happening on TikTok? Had you explored TikTok before?
1: We've we've explored TikTok. Um, I mean, I'm not even. I, I don't know how to even react to what's going on there and <laughs> where that's yeah. going to go. But we're we're obviously keeping an eye on it. Like we're keeping an eye on everything else.
0: I mean, I can see those cute girls dancing in your socks. Is that what's happening?
1: <laughs> people people are out there dancing in Bombas for sure. I mean it's like <laughs> a primary activity for, for our socks, I would say.
0: <laughs> I think so. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was so fun, Randy. Really. Thank you.
1: Thanks, Jill. Appreciate it.
0: That's all for this episode, which was produced by Pierre Bienname. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Please head to the review section on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast to give us a rating and tell us what you think. Thanks for listening to the Glossy Podcast.